Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. Many, 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 many years ago, when ice skating was my life, figure skating was my life, it was all for me and all the other young girls like me about the jumps and the spins. And every once in a while, our coaches would say, okay, for the next month, it's back to the basics. It's edges and stroking and no jumps and no spins. It's like, no, that was punishment. Want to do the good stuff, the fancy stuff. But the coaches would always say, all that good stuff, all that fancy stuff, all those jumps and spins are grounded in the basics. And the stronger your basics are, the better those jumps and spins are going to be. And they were absolutely right. And that's true of us too, I think, in the living of our lives. And some of you tuning in to our virtual broadcast, those of you in this room, some of you have been in this teaching of metaphysics, unity, science of mind for many, many years. For some of you, you may just be kind of exploring it. Is this the right spiritual path for you? But regardless of where we are in that journey, understanding the basics is really important. And I think in Eric's book, Eric Butterworth's book, The Creative Life, he is giving us some basics in the process of personal creation. And when you think about it, any goal that we have, any dream that we have, no matter what area of our life that goal or dream rests in, it could be our family goals, it could be financial goals or business goals, all of that, all of that rests in this idea of creation, that we are wanting to bring forth something in our life that doesn't yet exist. And what Eric has done in the book, The Creative Life, is he has actually used the allegorical story of creation in the book of Genesis, the seven days of creation, and he's looked at each of those seven days and said there's an element in each of those days that speaks to our individual journey today in anything that we want to create. That the creation story isn't something that God did. The creation story is a process of God moving through us or spirit moving through us in the realm of creativity as it moves through us in individually. And so very, very quickly, we're in day seven, but I want to do a very, very quick um, review of the first six days, the first six elements of the creation story. Day one, we're told God said, let there be light. And light was created, and God called the light good. And it's about inspiration. It's about that connection with divine mind that results in the beginning of a flash of an insight, of an illumination of insight. And in the second day, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and God called the firmament heaven. And we learn that heaven comes from the Greek word oranos, which has to do with this idea of expansion. And what is it when we are in the realm of creativity that moves us into expansion, that moves us beyond what currently exists, but our faith, our belief that something more can come from us, 
that we can do something more or create something more for ourselves and our families than we have heretofore. And on the third day, let the waters be gathered unto one place and let the dry land appear. Let the dry land appear. The idea of the, the vision, the possibility, the image of the idea of what we want to create becoming a little bit more recognizable, like the experience we have if we're driving our cars through the thick, thick fog. And then all of a sudden, the fog begins to lift, or we move through it, and we can see more clearly. And Erica reminded us that when we use the power of visualization, when we use the power of imagery, that it's not just about seeing the thing, seeing our goal, seeing our dream, putting it on a treasure map. It's not just that. It's actually seeing from it seeing from it, putting ourselves in it, not as someone looking at it, but looking from the place of having already achieved it. And in the fourth day, let there be lights, a light of the sun, the light of the moon, to separate the day and the night. And Eric suggested that symbolically, mystically, it refers to a greater awakening of us and an awakening to the way we go about creating that it's not this forced effort to create, but there's a willingness, there's a, an allowingness, if you will. And anyone who is particularly creative in physical arts knows that, for example, you have to hold the brush if you're painting lightly, or the pens or charcoals lightly. If you grip them too tightly, you get in your own way. And so for us, as we're creating more of the life we want or trying to move more toward the goal or dream that we've got in our mind's eye, that we need to be in a willing cooperative spirit with this divine flow. And then in day five, we learned that, that the, the creation was a let, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And I just love that. I love the word swarm and swarms of living creatures. And I took great comfort, and some of you said you did as well, in Eric's explanation of that, that that's the messiness of the creative process, right? We've got the idea, we've got the inspiration, we're, we're in the flow of it, but so many ideas are bouncing around, right? And, and, and in one sense, we want to be concrete and clear and deliberate. And Eric is saying, and I think he's right, there's time and space to let all of those ideas just kind of swarm and move and for us to be with them and see over time what patterns begin to emerge, how those swarms of thoughts and ideas begin to create. That the creative process itself is kind of messy when we're in the middle of it. And then last week, we looked at day six, and in day six, God said, let us create man and woman in our likeness and after our image. And we were, were reminded of a very important fundamental teaching in metaphysics, that we are born in original blessing, not in original sin. Original sin is a church concept. It doesn't appear, those words do not appear in a bona fide translation of the Bible. We are born in the image and after the likeness of the one 
of spirit, whatever we want to call it. If we like the word God, use God. If you need to use a different word, use a different word. But we come, if you will, from stardust. And in every one of the days of creation, there is the word let and there is the word good. And I really want you to hold those in your mind's eye. That in every one of the days of creation, and it's not a historical event, it's an allegory, it's describing a process. And in every part of the process, there is the need for allowing, there is a need for letting, there is a need for holding lightly in the process. And in every single day or aspect of creation, and God saw that it was, or God called it good. And I take great comfort in that. I hope you do as well, that along the journey, that we look for the good in the process itself. On the seventh day, God becomes kind of human-like on the seventh day. If you remember, on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested. If that's not an anthropomorphic concept of God, I don't know what is. What needs to rest but creatures that are like us, right? Right? That's not what God is, but what is it pointing to? This idea that on the seventh day, God finished his work, called it good, and needed to rest, and needed to rest. What it's speaking to, mystically, metaphysically, is the ebb and flow of the creation process itself, the rhythm and flow of life itself. Think about just the simple act of breathing. We need both the in-breath and the out-breath. One is not better than the other, right? You need them both, right? There's a rhythm and a flow. And this is true in the creative process as well. Eric suggests that it's really connected to understanding the power of let, the power of allow. He cites the example of a traveler in ancient Greece who had lost his way and stopped a man on the side of the road to ask directions, how do I get to Mount Olympus? And the man that was lost happened to ask Socrates, who was the man sitting on the roadside. And Socrates said, just make every step you take go in that direction. Completely simple, right? And what does that suggest to us? It suggests to, to me anyway, the importance of being aware of the direction, right? Am I moving in at least the general direction of what it is I am wanting to achieve and to accomplish in my life? And if I am, then every step that is in concert with that direction is going to help me get a little closer. And of course, we know mystically that we're not only talking literally about the steps we take, but we're talking about the thoughts we think, the feelings we hold, to allow all of that to the very best of our ability to move us in that one direction. Eric writes, to reach our Mount Olympus will require a change in consciousness a radical and permanent change for the better in our consciousness. And then he cautions, he says, but this is rarely something that happens overnight. More often it is a process of letting 
and resting. For success is not getting there, it is earning the right to be there. It's not getting there, it's earning the right to be there. And so on the seventh day, there's this idea of rest, this idea of rest. How many of you grew up in a Christian church or in Judaism as well, and learned the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to ask you if you remember them now, but many of us learned the Ten Commandments. The four, I don't, I memorized them. They are long since gone from, from committed memory. But the fourth commandment says, six days shalt you labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day unto the Lord your God. Grounded in the Christian Judeo practice is this idea of the Sabbath. This idea of we can work, but we also need what? A period of, of rest, a period of rest. The Hebrews were a theocratic society, and they had very clear and very precise religious laws. The consequence of breaking some of those laws was death. Aren't you glad we've made some progress? I'm glad we've made some progress, right? And there's still some faiths where the Sabbath is kept much more deliberately and much more literally. We can keep it deliberately and literally with real, without really practicing the essence of what it's all about. It's a time of mentally and emotionally scaling back. It's a time of mentally and emotionally pulling away, a time of mentally and emotionally moving from the circumference of our lives and all of the responsibilities and demands of our life more and more toward the center. I actually have a set of kitchen appliances that have a Sabbath mode. Every single one of them, from my dishwasher to my, not my refrigerator. I don't think I can put that on Sabbath. I wouldn't want to put that on Sabbath. But everything else has a Sabbath mode because the manufacturer of this particular line of appliances recognizes that there are still those who literally do practice that kind of Sabbath. What we're talking about here, though, is not so much a concrete day of the week but a way of approaching our life in general. Butterworth suggests the key is the mindful observance of daily Sabbaths. Let me read a piece that he writes about. He says they're not dictated by outside forces or external surroundings, that it's something inward. So it's not because a church or someone or something says, thou shalt practice this. It's a natural recognition within us of the desire for a rhythm and flow to our life. Butterworth writes, when you get still, get centered in God in you, then there is a natural rhythmic flow of the universe. Rest, work and rest, outpouring and infilling. This stillness allows you to know that God cannot be more present anywhere than God is present everywhere. God can only be found within ourselves. When we are in a sanctuary of prayer, God is present because we are present. I found those last two sentences really powerful. I'm going to read them to you again. God can only be found within ourselves. When we are in a sanctuary of prayer, 
God is present because we are present. When we meditate, when we pray, we are moving into a different state of being in that action, in that practice. And what he's saying is there's something added unto us, if you will, when we move into that energetic flow. It is in part what I believe mystically is meant in the statement, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It's used in reference where two or more are gathered in the name of Jesus, there am I in the midst of them. I think it speaks to the true meditative practice of spiritual community. I think it speaks to something that happens when we are together like this, either studying together, listening together, paying attention to a spiritual song together, or in a meditative practice together, that there is something added into that experience, a divine presence that we feel or energy that we feel that can't be duplicated when we are just by ourselves. And I'm always quick to say that's not an excuse to not pray or meditate when you're all by yourself. But there is something that mystics and spiritual teachers tell us we experience when we are in community, in a certain kind of community, a community that is devoted to a practice of prayer and meditation, that there is a presence that we feel. Eric suggests the Sabbath is the time, any time, when we remember the allness of good that is present right where we are. The Sabbath is the time, any time, when we remember the allness of the good that is present right where we are. Think back to the seven days of creation. Each of those seven days begins with the word let. That has to do with openness. That has to do with allowing, if you will. It has to do with flow, 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 not force. But in each day, we're told, and God either saw it or called it, depending on the translation of the Bible you're using, good, good. So much of our practice in unity, in metaphysics, is about looking deeply into our life, looking to and looking for the good and calling that forth. It's not to deny difficulties or the darkness that we might experience in our lives or the pain or the challenge or the suffering. It's not to be in denial of that. That is not emotionally or mentally healthy. But nonetheless, we can know that there are problems. We can see problems for ourselves, for our lives, for our world. We can name them and we can be about doing whatever we can to heal those problems. All the while, all the while, being in a co-creative process with God, the allowing, the letting process, and all the while looking for the good in it. And if we will look for it, we will find it. There is good in everything. Some things are really, take a lot of looking before we find it, but it's there. And why bother? Because whatever we focus on, whatever we put our attention on, 
we begin to attract more of that in our lives. And we begin to not attract more of it, we also begin to become more like it. Some of science already supports this in the realm of the neurology of the brain. The more our brain keeps focusing, the more we keep focusing in certain repetitive thoughts or beliefs or statements, the neurons behind that become stronger and stronger and stronger in firing, and so we are deepening that, we could call it a mental rut if you want, I mean, there's something to be said about that. We're deepening that process. This is why the more we worry, the better at it we get. This is why the more we work at practicing the presence of spirit of God, the more we work at practicing mindfulness, the more over time we get better at that. The Sabbath is the time any time when we remember the allness of God, the allness of good that is present right where we are. When I was putting this lesson together, I remember learning something about the native Hawaiians. And in the early days when missionaries were still doing their thing, trying to convert all parts of the world to just one religious belief, that belief being Christianity. When the missionaries were doing their work in Hawaii, they would set up their little chapels or little, little churches, and they were trying to convert the Hawaiians to Christianity. And the um, priests or, or leaders of the church would go into the, the churches, and they would say their prayers, and they would quickly leave. And the native Hawaiians were curious about that because in their practice, whenever they would pray to their understanding of God, they might say words, but then they would stay wherever they were, whether it was in a structure or just out of nature, they would stay in stillness and quiet for a while to listen, to breathe energy into their prayers. And they were very curious about these other religious people that would go right in, say a few words or many words, and then, and then leave. And so in the kuhuna practice, they, they named these missionaries, and the name that they gave them was haole, meaning without breath, without breath, without breath. And I think about that, you know, for us. What do we do? Think about the last time you had to carry something heavy. Maybe it was several, you should see me when I come home from Costco and I'm emptying my car. They call it a lazy man's load. I don't get it because I will pick up every single big bag and I must look like this weird juggler getting everything out of the trunk of my car, climbing up the stairs to go into, into my house because I don't want to make a second trip. I want to make that first trip really, really worth it. So I'm weighted down, you know, three gallons of milk and whatever's in the things, in the bags, but heavy, heavy, heavy. And the minute I set them down, it's like, ah. Now, mind you, I know I don't have to do it that way, right? I could make many trips and have them be, be much lighter. But think about the last time you carried something heavy physically. And then think about when you set it down. What did you probably do? Right, it's almost like without thought, right? It's like a body just goes, ah. Like a, like a thank you from the deepest part of us. Ah, thank you, thank you. Set it down. 
I don't, I've long since forgotten the details of this, this, where the, this line comes from. But I love the line that it's, we must sit to give our souls a chance to catch up with our bodies. How many of you think the culture that we live in has forgotten some of these things? I know I forget them. And yet in this seventh day, and perhaps the seventh day is every bit as important as any one of the other six days. And on the seventh day, God rested and called it good. And so I invite you, and I'm, I'm deep in trying to understand how to do this in my own life and how to do it better. A lot of responsibilities that I carry, and I'm sure that you do too. And many times I feel um, spread very, very thin, and I imagine you do too. And so it's to step back and say, so how can I weave more of this in? How can I practice this idea of being more in the flow, of just sitting for a bit? and resting, and resting in a very mindful way. And I believe that when we do that better, that it is part of the experience of opening up to an inrush of divine support and divine love. How many great inventors and healers and and scientists have said it was only when they got away from what they were working so hard on trying to figure out And when they finally just walked away and let it go, that it seemed to just what? Come to them. Come to them. So in closing, just a few reminders. This one is from Mahatma Gandhi. I love this. There is more to life than merely increasing its speed. More to life than merely increasing its speed. And so in closing, remember the idea of rest, and flow in your own creative process. Whatever it is that you're holding near and dear in your heart, whatever it is you're most wanting to bring about in your life, be deliberate with it. Ask for divine inspiration. Let the craziness of the, and messiness of the creative process swirl around you. But in the journey, also be willing to pause, to relax, to rest. Namaste. Namaste.